this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad within it. We are honored and blessed this morning to be alive on this Resurrection Easter Sunday. Let's give God some praise for Resurrected Sunday. We give our gratitude and thankfulness to the choir this morning for providing for us music of inspiration. And a special thank you, of course, to Mrs. Howard for singing the solo. Let's give God some praise for the music ministry today. Would you join me this morning in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24? Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, and I just want to read verse 32. Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 32. Word of the Lord. And they said one to another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? You may be seated. On this Resurrection Sunday, just want to talk a moment. <clears throat> about heart burning, heart burning. When we look at the Old Testament, the Exodus story marks the birthday of Israel as a nation for it made it possible for Israel to pilgrimage to the promised land. Exodus 15 gives us what's described as the victorious song in which the people of God celebrate the miraculous crossing of the sea and the attributes that the miraculous move of God's hand provided by way of salvation to Israel and the presence of God's intervention of power. Here is what they said, O oh Lord, Gracious and power, thy right hand has shattered our enemy. You have stretched out your hand, and the earth swallowed them. And in retrospect, when listening to that text, the Tristan church understood itself as the new Israel. That's who we believe we are. And have always seen the exodus through the Red Sea as nothing more than a typology for the church and its own birthday, the day of the resurrection, when Christ was raised from the dead, according to Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, 4, by the power of God. We therefore declare that Easter is the unexpected victory. I call it unexpected because there were many on the cross or around the cross that day who certainly were chanting finality to Jesus that the cross would be the end of his journey. 
It's the unexpected victory over the fierce battle that took place at Calvary. You and I ought to have a hint of what that means. When we've been nailed to our own cross, there are those who thought that that would be the end of each of us. They were chanting and conversing and screaming and celebrating one with another that that would be the end of our journey. And Calvary suggested that all the forces of evil and death herald themselves against the cross to destroy Jesus. Can you remember when all of hell heralded itself against your cross to destroy you where you are? And yet at the close of Good Friday, it seems as though they had been successful. But what they did not expect was that God was going to do the unexpected on Sunday morning. On Easter morning, he would resurrect the son, reversing what was witnessed on Friday. Death actually turned into life and the darkness that covered the earth on that crucifying evening actually turned into the bright sunshine of Sunday morning. That's the reason why the psalmist preempt the words in Psalm 30 and 5, weeping might endure for the night. We should be well familiar that night has come to all of us. If it hasn't, keep on living. Night will show up. And it doesn't always show up in the mere visibility of darkness of the night. Sometimes night shows up in ways in which we never anticipated that it would be a dark moment in our existence. And somewhere deep down in the soul, we have to reverberate weeping might endure for the night, but joy will find its way in the morning. The morning may not be at the actual rise of the sun, but the morning can simply be that now I can awaken to the newness of life, realizing that I may have cried on yesterday, but God's grace and mercy gives me the power to stand up on this day, and now I'm walking in the newness of life. Israel crossed over before they got to the Red Sea. That was the darkness of the night. Pharaoh was in hot pursuit. The dark cloud of defeat was hovering over their existence. But when they got to the Red Sea, Moses stretched out his hands and God answered a cry through the staff. And in answering the cry through the staff, he opens the waters and the victory is won in several ways. One, they get to walk over their enemy on dry ground. And in walking over on dry ground, that underscores that God will not only lift you up from the peril to where you find yourself, but God will create a path so that when you walk across, what should have destroyed you actually delivered you. God is so gracious in that he not only held back the waters and allowed them to walk over on dry ground, but he allowed them to hold to the same shoes for the next 40 years in which the souls never wore out. As they were pursuing, they thought for certain darkness that they would drown Israel 
in the sea only to realize that God in his graciousness actually drowned Pharaoh and his army in the sea. I told you at nighttime the darkness may look like it's going to be prevailing but joy somehow will come in the morning and when they crossed over Exodus 15 says they begin to shout and praise God for the victory that he has given into their life. This morning we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus which means that death in all the ways in which the world has traditionally worked and death in all of its value in terms of how the world has lived is virtually erased because Easter is the first day of a whole new creation. It is where God allows what took place at Calvary on Friday to appear as if it's going to prevail. But Sunday morning is going to birth a new creation, a new life, a new opportunity to witness what grace really does mean in the time of trouble. Here it is, for three years, those disciples had followed him they had learned from him, had ministered with him, and then suddenly, suddenly, the season had come to an abrupt and crashing conclusion. The one to whom they had walked with for those three years is now gone. Jesus had been viciously executed and his body into the cold, damp darkness of a tomb. All of his disciples had forsaken him amazingly and fled, making their way back to their own personal homes. And yet two of those followers, not those disciples, but two followers were heading home to Emmaus as well, a little village about seven miles west of Jerusalem. And as they made their journey, their walk toward the sunset was descriptive of their present emotion. When you read Luke 24, you can sort of sense that as they are walking back to their village, that their hearts are heavy, their spirits are now sore, and their minds are swirling about in confusion and in dismay, wondering what has happened to what they believe to be the hope of their future. Now look at them. They were walking and saying, says verse 21, one to another, we were hoping that it was he, Jesus, who was going to redeem Israel. Don't think of that text merely as a historical text because you and I have left circumstances in which we have prayed and cried that God would give us deliverance, but the circumstance didn't work out the way that we thought that it would. We were walking back to our car and walking back home or getting back to home and in our minds, we were swirling in confusion, wondering, Lord, where were you when I was praying? I was sincere. I was honest. I laid my requests before you. And for whatever reason, you didn't answer my prayer like I thought that you would. Underscore the idea that we often highlight with implication like I thought that you would. You would answer in the way that I thought that you would. I was hoping, just like these two men on the Emmaus Road, 
that you were going to redeem Israel or in our case that you were going to fix our situation. But they had buried their hope in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea because they didn't get the judgment or they didn't get the outcome at the moment that they thought that they should have gotten. They actually buried their hope as they saw Jesus buried in the tomb. Dejected and dismayed, they were walking proof that there is never power in the present when there's no hope in the future. Let me say that one more time. They were walking as clear billboard demonstrations proclaiming, teaching us that there is never power in the present when there is no hope in the future. Even though they saw Jesus buried in Joseph's tomb, they should not have buried their hope in that situation as well. But we can't rush the quick judgment or criticism because we too buried our hope in that decisive moment when it didn't work out the way that we thought it was going to work out. In fact, we have driven back home, we have walked back home, we have got home and walked all night and we have allowed our minds to swirl in confusion and said within our own way, God, you have greatly disappointed me. You just did not come through the way that I thought you were going to come through. Then suddenly, the resurrected Jesus, read this story closely around verse 15 and 16, it says that as they were walking, suddenly Jesus drew near and went with him, but they did not know it was Jesus walking with them. Here's the miraculous thing about that story is they were moving back to their context of existence. They were already saying in their mind that the weeping was going to get the best of their story. What God did in the context of these Emmaus workers was that as they were moving back, God said, let me show up in a very unexpected way in which they would never not only know that I'm there, but didn't even recognize it would be me that would show up in the occasion. That's when we go back home with deep depression and our heart and spirit is in dismay and somebody shows up with a word of encouragement that we never anticipated. They might give us a phone call, they might send us a text asking how did things work out and once we convey how the conclusion was, they come back with a word from God and we're saying in our spirit that sounds good, that might seem like the right thing to say at the moment but I don't find any inspiration because it didn't work out the way that I wanted it to work out but that's God's way of saying let me let them know that I'm not going to leave them alone in the most critical moment of a crisis I'm going to come along aside and they're not even going to see who I am Watch this, there have been times in which I've come home from a very dark moment and really didn't think about anything. I'll just show you how good God can show up. And I got a little dog, her name is Mocha, she's a pit bull. And do you not know that I really believe that when I come home and I start talking to Mocha, although Mocha can't answer me back, but Mocha has a way of looking at me with her eyes just to let me know it's gonna be all right. I know it might seem like darkness. And I'm just thinking if God can speak through a donkey, maybe God is trying to tell me through 
through mocha. It's going to be all right, James. You just got to remember that weeping might endure for the night and it still might be nighttime. But hold on, stand your ground. Don't give up. Don't waver. Don't throw in the towel. Hold your hands up in victory and praise because joy is coming in the morning. Here it is in the text. He walks right alongside these two men who did not recognize him, says the text. And yet, when you get down to verse 31, the text says, miraculously, their eyes were open and they knew him. Wait a minute, hold on. I thought at first when God came alongside them that they didn't know who he was. And now you're telling me in verse 31 that they came along now to realize that their eyes were open and they knew exactly who he was and then he vanished from their sight. I think that's just God's way of saying that sometimes you don't see me because of the way I show up because I can show up in some very conspicuous ways I can show up in some very unconventional ways but when all is said and done and I sit back and look back and wonder what happened I come to realize it could not have been anybody but God and I didn't see God at that time but when I thought back on how God worked that thing out and worked that thing up and put me back together I realized that couldn't have been nobody but God himself Self, and then the idea quickly vanishes but yet I still know it was God who showed up in the midst of my dark moment and what was their response they were walking and talking with Jesus not knowing that it was Jesus the resurrected Lord and here's their response after they realized who he was and listen to what they said did not our hearts burn within while he talked with us on the road and while he opened unto us the scriptures? Here's what's amazing. We prize ourselves today on our brilliant minds. Many know the nuances of truth. But watch this. We pride ourselves uh, on having benevolent hands and being commendable in social action. But what amazes me is we lack spiritual understanding at least enough where we sometimes can't even recognize when God is opening up the scriptures unto us in situations that we think that God has actually vacated. How, how can we acquire what I call this burning heart and the answer the answer is the same for them as it is now for us as he walks two millennials ago on the Emmaus road here's the answer number one listen as Jesus speaks through his spirit listen as Jesus speaks through the spirit look at the text the disciples reveal that their hearts were on fire verse 32 as he talked with us along the road. Now notice who's doing the talking. It's not the men, it's Jesus who's talking. Jesus did the talking. They poured out their disappointment, they poured out their dismay, they poured out their discouragement, 
and they then listened to what Jesus had to say. That, that's why I'm so glad that you can pour out to God everything that's on your heart. You can tell God exactly how you feel at the moment. You can lay it all out before God. You don't have to have any special language. You don't have to say anything any special way. You can tell God just how it is on your heart. And what God will then expect for you to do is simply say in return, okay, now that you've shared where your heart is, now I need for you to chill out take a chill pill, sit back, and just listen to what I have to say. That's, that's what our parents used to say. We were trying to tell them what went wrong and why it went wrong. And they said, okay, now you've given your spill. Now sit down and listen to what I have to say. And this is exactly what Christ is saying to us on this risen morning. He said, if you just simply sit back and listen to what I have to say in this now resurrected mode, you're going to hear something amazing and overwhelmingly exciting like you never thought you were hearing before. Their hearts didn't burn when Jesus was talking to them, amazingly, but their hearts began to burn after they finished listening to Jesus talk to him. They, those two, were still feeling sad and dejected. Likewise, we talk in prayer, and as they finished, as disappointed as depressed, and when they began, because they had only a one-sided conversation. You know, sometimes I believe that the best way to pray is just to sit down and don't say nothing. Just sit there and just, if anything, Lord, speak because I'm quiet. Maybe that's why Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. Take yourself out of the realm of constantly thinking that you have to actually say something to God and just simply listen to what God has to say. The disciples' hearts did not burn until they listened to Jesus. Didn't even burn while they were conversing one with another. Our own testifying to one another sometimes doesn't create the kind of burning that we think that we really need, but the text says their hearts burned when Jesus talked with them. Their hearts were set on fire when they stopped talking and started listening to the Spirit of God. We preachers are often guilty of thinking that we can speak not only for God, but that we can speak even before God tells us when to speak. In other words, we might be strongly suggesting in our own way that God, we know more about what to say than you do. And God has a way of allowing our speech to go out and it ends up coming back void because we're selling wolf tickets and don't know it. And what God does is allow you to sell them sometime to show you, I told you, you don't know everything. What you should have been doing was just sit and listen to me. And that's what they're trying to tell us this morning from the Emmaus disciples. Don't always think you got to explain everything to God. God already got the information. Instead, let God sit and explain it to you. Listen through the Spirit of God.
That's why I advocate the people, you know, it's a good thing just to take the scripture and just sit there and read it. And actually, don't try to figure out at the immediate moment what is said. Just say, Lord, speak to me and read it. And then just sit and allow your mind to mold into glory. What exactly is your saying, God? Are you saying, God? What, what exactly are you trying to say? And God speaks and speaks. Because sometimes when I think uh, I got it, God changes it. Uh, one reason uh, in preaching, I don't like to preach from what we call a lectionary. A lectionary is just simply that means that somebody uh, behind the desk in a study somewhere has already prepared a year of sermons for us. And all you have to do is just open up the book and just read it on its assigned day. My problem is when you do that, there's no room for the intervention of the spirit. And so even there are times, even after I've done all my little preparation and think I got this thing down pat and I get right here into this seat and God opens a whole nother direction of a passage and I got to change everything. And here's the thing, God wants you to listen because you then you have to totally trust the spirit because once he changes it, I don't have no notes. I don't have no crutch to lean on. I got to really trust that as I move along in this text that the spirit of God will illuminate. But that tells me that there are times when God lets us walk down our Emmaus road and we have to just simply trust God. We hear that voice speaking, but we really don't know if it's God because we can't put two and two together. Then all of a sudden, we come to realize it had to have been God, but what happened was I had to trust God while I was walking down my Arrayus road, not realizing how I was going to get from point A to point B, but God will do that to you because he's trying to ignite a fire in your heart to trust him when you can't trace him and to believe him when doubt suggests that we should doubt him. So God says, I need you to listen to me as I speak to you in the spirit. But secondly, I need you to listen to me as I speak to you in the scripture. Did not our hearts burn, says the text, while he was speaking to us on the road. But the second clause of verse 32, he was explaining or expounding or exegeting unto us the scripture. That's where we get the word expositional preaching in which we take the text and allow the text to tell us what God is trying to say in the text. We call that exegesis because we're trying to draw out from the text what God is saying. We call eisegesis trying to read into the text what I wanted to say. And people are guilty of reading into the text what they wanted to say. But on the Emmaus Road, Jesus was exegeting in the text what the Bible says, if you read back further, it says that he began with Moses. He began to expound unto them the word of God, verse 27. Verse 27. He began with Moses and then the prophets, and he once again explained, exposed, expounded, exegeted for them 
all that Moses and the prophets were saying. Why? Because he's trying to tell them in this dark moment, listen to the spirit of God, but secondly, listen to the scriptures that God has to tell us. And that's the reason why you got to be a Bible reader. You got to study the word of God. You got to get the word on the inside of you. You got to have something to work with so that when the storm comes, you don't react to the storm. You just put the word on the storm and you stand back and watch God deal with the storm and learn the lesson that God is trying to teach you in the storm. Have you noticed that God doesn't always deliver you from something, but God oftentimes delivers you in something. He takes you through it so that you can see the reality of what those scriptures meant. You will never know how important Joshua 1.8 is until God places you in a context where you have to trust the scripture going neither to the left nor to the right, but you have to engage and you have to endow and dip yourself, immerse yourself is a better word, in the word of God. Because that's where your power really lies in being able to utilize scripture. Do you know why Isaiah says no weapon can be formed against you? It won't prosper. Isaiah is really trying to tell us when the word of God is spoken from your lips, don't matter what's formed against you, what weapon that it even attempt to be, the word of God is the greatest weapon you have to defeat whatever is trying to defeat you. And here it is on the Emmaus Road, what was trying to get the best of them was worry and dismay and disappointment. And you and I have been down that road where worry and dismay and disappointment was attempting to get the best of us. But somehow in our spirit, we remember them Sunday school scriptures that came alive in our spirit. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the green pastures and into the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of our enemies and thou anointest my head and my cup runneth over and then we shout, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? God has made me that head and not the tail. God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. God said, whatever you ask in my name, it shall be. I'm talking about knowing scripture and sometimes you can't have words to articulate what your problem is. You don't have words to explain to somebody else what you need. All you have is a scripture that you got to hold on to and believe that God is going to work something out in that scripture because God speaks through the scripture. I have had to stand beside bedsides of sick people and I've had to claim Isaiah 43 verse 1 and 2 because that's my favorite verse where God says, I know you by name, I've called you by name and when you walk through the fire, it would not burn you and when you walk through the waters, it will not over. That's all I knew and I had to trust that that word alone would bring that sick person to victory and I got to tell you, God has brought victory every single time. Why? Because I believe God speaks through the scripture 
Here it is in the text. The two disciples' cold hearts were set on fire when Jesus taught with them but revealed the meaning of the scriptures to them. The Bible is a sealed book, sealed until Jesus' spirit opens it up unto us. Just that simple. You can read it, won't understand it, particularly if you're not a believer, but when you ask the spirit of God to help me understand what this means, God will bring you clarity. Those who do not know the Lord, they can gain a head knowledge about the Bible, and I know a lot of people got a good head knowledge, but they can never gain spiritual knowledge, and there's a difference between the two. I can know who knows how many scriptures, and I may even know what it means in terms of how it fits within the context, but when I have a spiritual understanding, it walks with me and it talks with me and it reassures me that God not only has my back, but there's something in the midst of this moment that God is trying to teach me. Here it is. Jesus expounded to them all that the scriptures had to say. Look at verse 27. Concerning himself. Oh, I like that. That's shouting news right there. Jesus said, let me tell you what the scripture says about Jesus himself. And I, I'm just going to take one phrase that Jesus used, and I constantly have to go back to it because it reminds me of what the scripture says about Jesus himself. Two words, I am. Jesus repeatedly said throughout John's gospel how he was. He says, I am the bread of life. When he looked at that crowd who needed food and were hungry and the disciples were wondering how we're going to feed them, Jesus said, you're looking too far away. Look what's right next to you. I am the bread of life. He encountered those who needed water. They were thirsty but had nowhere to get water. And Jesus told them, I am the living water. If you drink of my cup, it a well up into you an everlasting spring of joy an everlasting spring of power he looked at Mary and Martha and said I know you think your brother is dead but understand I am the resurrection and the life he that believes in me though he were dead yet shall he live in John chapter 10 he tells them that anybody try to come in any way other than through me they will find themselves facing a locked door because I am the door I am the way that you get there John 14 he says I I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Revelation chapter 1, he says, I am he who was dead, but I am now alive forevermore. And every now and then I got to remind myself when I think I can't make it, God says, I'm the bread of life. I'll be everything that you need. If I'm thirsty and can't get my thirst quenched, God says, I am the living water. I am the water of life. If I feel like I'm dying and I need to be lifted back up, I am the resurrection and the life you need to read the gospels to hear Jesus talk about his own self and every now and then you got to find yourself immersed in the word of God so that he can tell you about who he is and God will let you know that he'll be your comforter grandmama said it best he'll be your bridge over troubled water he'll be your doctor in the sick room he'll be your lawyer in the courtroom he'll be your walking stick in the desert he'll be your water in 
in dry places. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I wish I had a real church. You remember how God has been your walking stick and how God, if I got anybody in here who was sick on your sick bed and you were laid out and didn't know how you were going to come back and God became the doctor in the sick room. Do I have anybody who can stand and testify? I know what it means when my spirit was empty and I needed a drink of water and God became my water in the midst of a dry places. Does anybody can stand and testify? I know what it means that God will be your walking stick as you walk through the wilderness. Is there anybody in this place who can testify that I was once down and out but God became my resurrection and life because he opened the scripture up unto me. Oh, I wish I'd find somebody that could slap half eyes my day. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to glorify him. I'm going to thank him because he's been everything that I needed him to be to me. That's why Easter is a celebrated moment because when I was dead, he lifted me up and gave me life forevermore. Let me tell you one more thing and then I'm going to take my seat. Yeah, I smell him cooking. It's time for me to get up out of here. Right, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Jesus began to open unto them the scripture, the story. He begins to tell them the story of Moses and the prophets. He revealed it in the scripture. He went from the Pentateuch to the prophets. He preached. He taught them how the shadow of the cross fell on the Old Testament. But Jesus began to reveal unto them who he was. Abraham's ram at the altar. The spotless lamb whose blood was spilled to give Israel deliverance from the death angel. He began to show them how he was the scarlet thread that hung in Rahab's window. How he was David's shepherd that led him in the wilderness. He begins to share with them how he was Isaiah's suffering servant. And how he was the fourth man in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And immediately the disciples respond with a noteworthy expectation and said to him, as Jesus left him one to another, did not our hearts burn as he shared and opened with us the word of God? And what did they do? When they heard the scripture, says verse 33, they arose that very hour and went back to Jerusalem and found others gathered together, the 11, and began to say to them, verse 34, the Lord has truly risen and he has appeared to Simon. Now what I thought was interesting was why would Luke mention to us Instead of that he appeared to the two men on the Emmaus road, why would he say that he appeared to Simon? Clearly, you remember after the resurrection when Mary Magdalene appeared at the tomb and Jesus told her, now you go and tell Simon and the others to meet me in Galilee. I'll meet him there soon. And what Luke says is, he not only did appear, watch this and then I'm done, this is shouting news, he not only appeared to Simon, 
But the middle of the Emmaus Road says we are living witnesses that we know he appeared to Simon because he also appeared to us. And that's just like, listen, that's just like us simply saying, oh, I know he was the God of the salvation of my mama. But I'm here to testify that he not only was the God of mama, but he became my daddy and my mama and the God of my salvation as well. And look what they did. The news was so great. The encounter with Jesus was so marvelous. They now know that they have experienced a risen Lord. They couldn't keep it to themselves. Verse 33 and 34 say they left and went back to Jerusalem to tell everybody one phrase. I know he really has risen. And I, 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 I just want to know. Is there anybody in the house? Not because your mama told you. And not because your daddy told you. And not because your grandparents mentioned it to you. And not because you heard somebody else say it. But I just want to know, are there any living witnesses on this Easter Sunday morning in the house that you know that he's alive because he is alive in you. Made a visit to you. Woke you up this morning. Started you on your way. Keeps on blessing you. Keeps on supplying your need. Is there anybody in here who know that he's alive, not just in the book, but he's alive in your soul. Every day he moves about and you have your being and existence in him. Is there anybody who knows that God is alive because he watches over me? He supplies all my need. He rides with me. He navigates for me. He's my friend when I have no other friends. I know. I know. I know he's alive because he lives on the inside of me. And, and now I'm shouting, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. Now life is worth living just because he lives. See, uh, when you've had that little bracelet around your, your wrist and your name is on that bracelet, and you've had to transition out of your bed of comfort until, until, uh, into that bed in that hospital room and you're laid back, hooked up to all kind of IVs and now you are free. You know he lives. Yeah. 
until you've had to scrounge and, and you've had to almost wonder and fear, but fear won't get the best of you because the Spirit of God won't allow it, but you've had to wrestle, Lord, I'm a little concerned how things are going to work out because we no longer have the same income, and yet six months later, you never missed a payment, you never went without, you never had any lack at all. That's because you know he lives. because he lives on this Sunday morning I'm excited I'm happy I'm glad I'm happy to be in Jesus old folk used to sing it sometime up sometime down sometimes almost level to the ground but they won't let go of Jesus there's just a conviction in their heart because of the spirit and because of the scriptures, they'd hold on to him. And they had to run tell somebody. Let me tell you who can help you out. And even in their resisting moments, they simply tell the person, you know what, you might not want to hear me right now, but just store it in the back of your mind. And later on when you calm down, think about how good God has been to you, even though you don't acknowledge who he is. Doors of the church are open. We might be blessed with someone on this resurrection 